Ben, if I wanted to hear a podcast between you and Justin Koo talking about life, love, and other mysteries, where would I go to find this podcast? You would definitely go first to the internet. If you don't know how to use the internet, you'd open your web browser, Google Chrome, uh-huh. Mozilla Google Firefox, Chrome? something of that sort. Safari? And then you would go to Justin Koo's Instagram, which is at jkoo. And then there's a link... <laughs> I don't know, I think. That's probably the worst way to find the podcast, I would imagine. Like, you could do that on your phone, Oh, right? Yeah. These people are never going to find the podcast, and that's cool because that means you probably won't get canceled because no one's going to listen. <laughs> it's crazy is that th- all three of us do podcasts and we can't figure out what to say. Well, hey guys, this has been very helpful. I'm excited <laughs> to, to, to listen to the Dusty Boys podcast. Count me in. Welcome back to The Move, where I've been through the book 10 minutes at a time. I'm your host, Justin Koo, and in today's episode, we're talking about that one time in the Bible where a woman cosplays as a temple prostitute and ends up pregnant, but in a twist of events, the Bible describes her as righteous. If you're wondering, what in the world are we looking at? We're looking at Genesis chapter 38, verses 12, all the way to 30, hanging out today with Pastor Jonathan, who, you know, the pastor role is important because today is the debut, like literally the day that this episode airs, is the debut of the project we've been working on for quite some time. Oh, yeah. Okay. it's uh, the very first, maybe this is more like a soft launch. Maybe this isn't like the public debut, but Internet Church yeah, yeah, yeah. is no, it, tonight. If, if you're listening to this episode when it airs in the morning, mm-hmm. you could still jump on for Internet Church Internet tonight. Internet Church tonight at, I think, 9 p.m. Eastern and just join through our Facebook group link. Yeah. All right. Join our Love Reality Facebook group, Love Reality Community on Facebook. You can find us there. And in that group, we'll have a link to join Internet Church, which is a... Uh, we're planting a church on the internet. Super fun. We don't know what that's going to look like, but we're doing it. Yeah, here we go. Ready or not. Yeah. And, it, <laughs> and, and it's not that we're planting a church that then we're going to meet in person. No, no, no. It's an internet-based church. Yeah. So we're going to give it a go. See how it goes. Should be fun. So that's the longest title ever you decided to use. <laughs> but yeah, let's go. Genesis 38. What do you find in Genesis 38? What, 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 what can we bring well, that actually... Yeah. Aside from yesterday's episode on onanism or the technical term that Harold used in yesterday's episode, yeah. but you read it in a book as we were preparing for today's episode, which yeah. was coitus interruptus. So that's one thing. But then there's a whole other bizarre turn of events where now Judah goes to another town mm-hmm. and ends up hanging out with a prostitute. Mm-hmm. Uh, this prostitute, lo and behold, turns out to be his daughter-in-law, mm-hmm. if I understand the relation correctly. Mm-hmm. She gets pregnant and then she's about to be killed, but she's like, ah, wait, mm-hmm. it's the child is yours. Yeah, yeah. And you are that man. You are that, exactly. And uh, Judah says, wow, she's more righteous than I am, which is really interesting. Maybe it's not fair to say that the Bible describes her as righteous for these acts, but Judah certainly describes her as righteous. And then yeah. there's a whole story at the very end of it of twins. You know, that's is, I, I almost want to have like a little veering off by what you mean by the Bible describes her as righteous. <laughs> Because it's not like the Bible is a character sure. in the Bible, right? So that maybe it's not fair to say that God calls her righteous for this act of prostitution. Yeah. Uh, uh, is that better? I guess. Yeah, it's just <laughs> okay, an let's, interesting let's, turn of phrase. The Bible let's, doesn't call her Judah does. Like, who's the Bible? Yeah, when, yeah. when does he show up? So let's not go down that route. Yeah, let's yeah, focus yeah. on the narrative of the story. Yeah. Yeah. So what's interesting about this narrative is that it seems you have in uh, the beginning of chapter 38, verses 1 through 11, you have this... Uh, 
this episode where there is coitus interruptus, yes. right? Uh, what is it that Harold called it? O- o- what? Omanism? Onanism. Onanism. The guy's name right? is Onan. And yeah, so yeah, the internet onanism. considers it Onanism. Okay. All right. I am not familiar with that term, but yeah, it's the same as coitus interruptus, right? Which is the fancy term for what he did. Um, <laughs> uh, and then all of a sudden you think to yourself, what do these 11 verses and then the preceding, the the remaining chapter have to do with the story of Joseph? Because clearly chapters 37 on through 40 something, mid 40s is all about Joseph and how he redeems his brothers. Right. Right. And you would be half right. So in, do we have narrative interruptus here? Yeah. Yeah. It feels like narrative interruptus. <laughs> well, well, well played. Um, because it feels like this is an interruption of the Joseph story. Why is this here? We should move from 30, chapter 37 to 39, where Joseph is in Potiphar's house and keep it going, right? Mm-hmm. However, you would be only half right to recognize that the story of Genesis 38 through mid 40s, 44, 45, whenever it is, even 47, um, right until the end of the book, quite actually, uh, when you think it's about Joseph, it is not merely about Joseph. It is about the promise being fulfilled through the line of Abraham that includes Joseph, but it also includes his brothers. It also includes his father. And it also includes in a quite important role, his brother Judah. Hmm. If you think about the two characters that actually take center stage in the remaining portion of Genesis. It is not merely Joseph, but it is Joseph and Judah. So even though Joseph has 10 times as many chapters allocated to his story, Judah is still an equal part in the narrative, like the weight of the narrative. Yeah, Judah is a huge player precisely because the story arc and the narrative arc, the character arc of both Joseph and Judah are at odds at the beginning of the story and they coalesce very nicely at the end Mm -hmm. and one of the indications of how they coalesce and how they're going to coalesce right is the foreshadowing of genesis chapter 38 judah this is not merely a story that interrupts joseph's story this is setting up judah as a character who is actually going to have a change of heart Because in the same way that he has deceived his father in the previous chapter, Mm -hmm. he himself in chapter 38 is also deceived. Mm -hmm. Jonathan, what do you mean? I mean this. Judah loses his wife. Right. He is subsequently consoled, right, by a prostitute on his way to Timnah, right? He's with his friend, the Adulamite. And on his way to Timnah, he stops at a town and sees a prostitute. Little does he know that this prostitute is actually his daughter-in-law. Why is his daughter-in-law playing the prostitute? Because Judah, according to the laws of Levite marriage, right? Levite marriage is this idea that if the firstborn is married and dies, the secondborn and subsequent brothers have to fulfill the duty of giving the firstborn who has passed an heir. So they are to go into the wife of the deceased firstborn, conceive a child in the name of the firstborn, so that even even though the biological father is the brother, the recognized father is actually the the deceased. Okay, so if there are multiple brothers, which this Mm -hmm. is actually literally how Mm -hmm. the story is playing out. So there's Mm -hmm. brother one, two, and three. Say brother one dies. Brother two also dies Uh because of uh, coitus interruptus. Uh Uh Uh, And then number three is intended to marry the the wife of brother one. Mm -hmm. 
they have a kid. Mm-hmm. Technically, or maybe legally, mm-hmm. that child is the heir of brother number one. one. Why yeah. is this important? Because there is no social security system in okay. the ancient Near East. And as a matter of keeping the line and the progenitor, like the, the, the firstborn, and passing on blessing, passing on legal estate, it goes through the line of the firstborn. If the firstborn doesn't have an heir, how do we keep this thing going? What is the natural order of our system that goes through the firstborn? Well, the uh, fix is to have a replacement player. <laughs> Right. The brother is supposed to come in and provide that heir. And that heir is the one who inherits, but also is the one who takes care of the widow that is left behind. So that this plays a crucial role in keeping the stability of estate and blessing and promise right on through. Right. Now, what we have in this story. Can we just pause and say that that feels very weird to... The context in which I live in. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, Just because, yeah. I don't know, maybe maybe it's helpful for those who are listening to this description of Leverite. Leverite marriage. Yeah. Leverite marriage. Leverite marriage. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're thinking, that's weird. Yeah. 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 Okay. So just if you're feeling that. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. feel weird about it. Feel weird about it. But just know that from their vantage point, the way we do things is really weird. Fair. Right? Yeah. So they see us and they're like, what? You would do, huh? <laughs> You actually leave your parents on a whole nother continent and go live on an island because what? Uh Uh-oh. Right? So, yeah, yeah, just uh, never make make the error of thinking that our understanding of culture is more right. Okay. Right? Fair enough. So, it'd be really weird to them. And so, this weirdness continues. And so, ultimately, Judah doesn't provide the heir that he should for his daughter-in-law. Right. She sent away Judah actually in the meantime has his wife die and then he has needs that are sexual in nature. And this is this use of the Bible that's like, you know, he was ready to be consoled. He's ready to move on. He's ready to have. Right. Sure. Which is a contrast to his father in the previous passage that his father is will not be consoled. Hmm. Right. Because his father is in eternal mourning. Oh, right. Exactly. It's not that he's just depressed all the time. Maybe he is depressed, but that's not what the Bible's meaning. To some degree, it's that he will exist in a state of mourning until his son is returned to him. And then he recognizes that he can't have his son return to him. He's going to go to the grave. So Jacob is swearing off all the pleasures of life because he's in eternal mourning. Right. Where Judah, on the other hand, is like, the way the text goes, Judah doesn't even seem to have a response to his children dying. Yikes. They just die. And he's like, mm, on to the next one. Oh, no. Right? Which is a char- character contrast that the text is actually doing intentionally mm. because there's something going on with Judah that is actually going to play into the remaining chapters. There's, there's a callousness. There's a distancing from... Yeah, just remember, this is the guy who just got rid of his younger brother. Mm-hmm. This is now the guy who is unwilling to fulfill the lights of Levite marriage. And the text has him, at least the text does not remark uh, how he feels about his children passing. And that seems to be an omission, an intentional omission, because it's contrasting him to his father previously. Mm-hmm. Now... What Judah is concerned about, to some degree, is how he will be perceived and how it will affect his family lineage if he has a daughter-in-law who plays the prostitute. Mm, And he does have a daughter-in-law who played the prostitute because his daughter-in-law was the prostitute that he slept with 
and three months later tried to send the payment for sleeping with her, but he can't find this prostitute. Right. Why? Because his daughter-in-law has now taken off the garbs of being a prostitute and has dressed herself up against, again as a widow who is in mourning. So help me to understand from, from Tamar's perspective. Like I, I get Judah as this yeah. really, really flawed at, the, at this point in the story, very yeah. flawed individual. There's the contrast between him and his father, maybe yeah. even an implicit contrast between him and Joseph, as we'll see in future chapters. Yeah. Tamar. But there's also a contrast between him and Tamar. Yeah. Who was willing to prostitute herself in order for the right thing to happen because she is a woman wronged. Mm. If you notice, actually, in the verses from Genesis 1 through, I think, verse 13, she's a passive object. Being passed from brother to brother. Passed from brother to brother and constantly having things happen to her. She's viewed as cursed. She's the reason why the brothers are being killed, so send her away. Could be, right? However, immediately after her, uh, like she takes matters into her own hands and then there's all these active verbs for what she's doing. So she moves from passive to active. And had it not been for her activation, the right thing, her wrongs would not have been corrected. Hmm. Who should have corrected her wrongs? Judah. So who should have advocated for Tamar? Judah. Who should have advocated for Joseph Judah. in the previous chapter? You see what's going on here? Yeah. So the, right? the person who plays the role of advocate, the person who plays the role of interceder is noticeably absent on the time he's supposed right? to Right. So up. the intercessor for the aggrieved, the intercessor for the marginalized is not present. And is it any wonder that his name is... Judah. (laughs) So an intercessor for the marginalized, an intercessor for those who are in the pit of death, an intercessor for those who are without a husband. Hint, hint. Mm. His name is Judah. Okay. Right? Yeah. So so if I don't know what the name Judah is or the significance of the name Judah, Mm -hmm. let's spell it out a little bit So the significance of the name of Judah is, uh, I'll get there real quick, is that I'll just give the game away. Is that finally the children that Tamar bears, her two children, one of them is the primogenitor or is from the line where Jesse will come from. Jesse being the father of David, Mm -hmm. David being the royal king, who is the line from where the Messiah will come, Mm -hmm. who ultimately is the lion of Judah. Judah. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. So that Jesus comes all the way from this line of Tamar who prostituted herself. And Jesus is the intercessor who stands in the place where Judah should have stood. Jesus is the one who actually advocates for those who are in the pit of death. Jesus is the one who intercedes for those who are without a husband because he becomes the husband, right? Mm -hmm. To the orphaned, uh, uh, to the widowed woman, Mm -hmm. right? So, uh, and this is, you know, symbolic and metaphorical. So that then Judah is being set up as this type that then Jesus is the antitype and the story of Judah has an arc where Judah, spoiler alert, finds redemption at the end of the story because in the midst of his brothers, he actually stands and is willing to lose his life so that his brothers might live kind of like Jesus, Jesus, right? Uh Because at the end of the story, Judah's the one that actually stands up and says, no, take me instead of Benjamin, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then... If you know the end of the story, and we'll get there, but then that's where Joseph reveals himself because he's so moved in his heart. And Joseph reveals himself, I'm your brother. 
in the same way that Tamar revealed herself and said, I am your daughter-in-law. Wow. Right? And remember the way that Tamar revealed herself. She goes, I'm impregnated by the man who is the owner of these things. Uh And the things were the pledge that Judah had given her in lieu of payment for their sexual interaction. Mm -hmm. So backtrack. When Judah goes and finds this temple prostitute, who unbeknownst to him is his daughter-in-law, she says, what will you pay me with? He has no payment, but he gives her a pledge, right? Mm-hmm. Which is his own, um, what is it that he gives her? Signet. Yeah, it? he gives her a signet, right? Mm-hmm. And the promise is that I will send you a kid from the flock, a, a, a goat, right? And I'll bring that payment and you give me back my pledge. Well, three months later, well, yeah, well, subsequently, sometime thereafter, they can't find this prostitute. Judah has sent his buddy up there to make payment to get his pledge back, and he can't find him. Judah's like, ah, forget it, forget it. We don't want to be <laughs> made fools of. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Three months later, he hears mention that his wife has, I mean, his daughter-in-law has played the whore. And he's like, what? Mm-hmm. Bring her out. Why? Because she deserves to be stoned because nobody in his family ought to play the mm-hmm. harlot. Except that then he can actually visit a right, prostitute. Right, yeah. This is the thing that the text is trying to show us that like there's this contrasting character. Something's happening here. I'm, I'm hearing uh, echoes of Jesus and the woman kind yes, of adultery. Yes, man. It's all, it, it all, it's all intertwined. Uh, another one. I'm wondering, I think listeners will be able to connect that one. I'm wondering, is there also, because there's a lot of language about uh, the church or the religious institution that crucifies Jesus uh, and maybe even prophetic institutions that are described in prophecy or in other places yeah. as harlots. Yeah, is there yeah. a tie there? I mean, I think that the text is so hyperlinked that these stories, as we've talked about before, as myth-making, mm-hmm. right? They are true, but they're also myths. They organize the way we think about things that come thereafter. So when a harlot shows up, like the way that the text has dealt with harlots throughout its whole narrative is meant to be at least acknowledged or understood or at least thought of, right? Like, I don't want to say that the totality of the way one harlot shows up in the text is the way that all harlots are going to show up. I'm not doing that because we don't want to do an illegitimate totality transfer, mm-hmm. you know, in the words of D.A. Carson. We don't want to do uh, make the word concept fallacy so that every time you see the word harlot, you're supposed to bring this whole concept right. with it. But the option is there. And if the context demonstrates that this is the way you ought to use it. This is how the Bible interprets itself Hmm. because it gives you an option of like, oh, if the context clues about a harlot and the way the harlot has actually behaved are related to the way a harlot has shown up over here, that is the way the text is telling you like, yes, they're related. Make that connection. Hmm. Right. And here's one way that the text actually does it rather explicitly in Genesis 38 when Judah is confronted with Tamar having played the harlot uh, and she's pregnant, mm-hmm. he's like, stone her, kill her. And she says, to whom these belong to, I am. That's the father of this child. Mm-hmm. The verbiage that she uses when she brings out his signet is the same verbiage that was used in the chapter before. To bring out Joseph's robe that is covered in blood. Whom do these belong to? This robe. 
She says, whom do these belong to? The signet. And it's making this connection that in the same place that Judah deceived his father, he is now the recipient of deception. Hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. And this is laying the groundwork for the character arc that will be fulfilled when Judah stands as an intercessor for his brother, when unbeknownst to him, Joseph is requiring the life of Benjamin. Mm. When Judah was unwilling and unable to stand as intercessor for Joseph, when he was in the pit, you have this character arc where Judah finally stands mm. as intercessor for his little brother, Benjamin, because he's no longer accounting for his life at the expense of others. Mm. It's, a, it's a reflection of Jesus in the same way that a mirror is the opposite reflection. Isn't that interesting? Like it, it, we're holding up a mirror to Judah, but we get to see in the ways that he falls short and the way that he misses the mark. And you just flip the script just a little bit and you get to see Jesus doing it successfully. Hey, we would love to be able to extend to you guys an invitation. We we love having these conversations. The move has been one of the best like regular rhythms of my life. But the biggest like hang up, the thing that I wish that we could change about the move is to include all of you guys in the conversation. And just podcasting doesn't allow us to do it. It allows, you know, Jonathan, myself and Ben and Tyler and everyone else on the team to have these fantastic conversations. But I would love to be able to include you guys. And so here's the cool thing. Tonight is Internet Church, and one of the main features of Internet Church, and probably how this is going to be different than any other church that's like doing live streaming their sermons or doing an online service of some sort, is that the entire goal of Internet Church is for it to be deeply interactive, deeply communal, not just the kind of thing where you live stream a sermon. We want to be able to facilitate a space where you get to explore the scriptures, where you get to move with the Holy Spirit, and you get to share your thoughts, ask your questions, hear from other people, other members of the team, the broader community at large. This is what Internet Church is all about, or at least this is what the first iteration of Internet Church is going to be like. We're going to obviously have it evolve and grow and be a part of something new. And so if you would like to be kind of on the very, very beginning, the like maybe one of the quote unquote founding members of Internet Church or something along those lines tonight, April 8th, I think the time is 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So do the time conversions for whatever time zone that you're in. We would absolutely love to have you there. The, the links to the show, the link, or I guess to the live experience, the links to all of that will be in the description of this show. So if you're on podcast, in the show notes, if you're on YouTube, it'll be in the description below. Obviously, if you're listening to this kind of into the future, which is meaning that the internet church thing was in the past, sorry, sucks to suck. You're going to have to put on notifications and the bell icon and all the different things. So that way, when episodes come out, you know that they're out and the latest announcements and the latest updates, you can be part of what's happening as it is happening. So again, we want to have you there at Internet Church. Please come out, say hi, get, bring a friend. We'd love to have you there. We're looking forward to it again tonight. Internet Church, link in the description below.